Hello everybody and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today. Oh. That's right, because today (laughs) we are talking about a book that you had pitched on Friends Pitching Fantasy a while back um, that we finally got around to reading. This is, of course, like the indie darling that turned into just a massive mainstream success and a fantastic debut from a like now like up and coming and now i would say he's up like that's you know he's up he's uh, yeah he's way up (laughs) it's like the coming part is like you know the up and coming i don't know it it doesn't look too short he was at the time this book came out and now he's like you know everyone knows him and loves him uh then of course we're talking about evan winter and his debut novel the rage of dragons right a book that started out self-published and then picked up a ton of steam on Reddit, our fantasy, which we just did an episode for those folks. Shout uh, out. A fantasy book recommendations episode right before this one. But yes, our fantasy was a big part of Evan Winter's rise and then eventually the book getting picked up by Orbit and then traditionally published. And that's the version that you and I just read. Uh, it is a phenomenal debut i mean one Mm. of the best debuts that i can remember reading oh yeah especially for like like indie published too like it's so polished and that just maybe when it was like officially published i don't know if there was an editing process there but like man for a first book especially coming up just independently it is it is a huge accomplishment like it's really well written <laughs> i'm very shocked right. you read a lot of indie first books and there's a lot to love out there but i would never expect that kind of writing ability from a first-time author out there just for the fun of it publishing it on their own like well done yeah i mean i'm not sure the story exactly if he was hoping to make this like a career out of this or if he was just doing it for fun but he's he's certainly been able to carve a very successful authorial career and yeah he's got he's got another book out fires of vengeance and mm-hmm. i think working on the third the lord of demons people are the lord the of demons oh, i'm that's seeing yeah it, it, idea. did you know dylan that in 2020 time magazine Mm, named the rage of dragons one of the 100 best fantasy books of all time yeah i didn't know that that that, that's impressive and i think it definitely deserves a spot as one of the like really innovative unique incredible stories that has come out relatively recently i know that list is somewhat controversial in the sense that it leaves out some people that yeah yeah very much deserve to be there there's no joe abercrombie and that's just criminal so anyway don't want to take anything away from evan winter but i know that that list uh frustrates me a little bit with leaving off our buddy joe 
uh, and some others, I believe Mark Lawrence and all that. But this book certainly deserving of the praise that it's received, the accolades. And yeah, I'm super excited to get into it with you. Yes, yes. And um, I'm super excited to get into it too. You know, Evan Winter has been on my radar to read for years and years and years. I knew his story. I, I knew that he was like this indie darling that went, you know, mainstream in, in a big, big way. And I've been dying to like read into why that was the case. And then when you had pitched it, um, I was super excited to to jump into it. And now here we are um, finally talking about it. And I, I'm at a loss for where to kind of start. I guess the first thing is this book is commonly pitched as Game of Thrones meets Gladiator. Um, yeah. Which is at, so Gladiator being the the Russell Crowe vehicle. Yeah. If I'm, are you not <laughs> right? entertained? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and a fantastic movie in its own right. Although I haven't watched it, I think since I was like a teenager, but it's definitely enjoyed time. it a lot when I did watch it. I think. I mean, I guess we should do this part spoiler free still charles sure, yeah. or should i just uh, up to you i mean you're the one that gives the ah, famous i'm gonna give the spoil I, yeah i'm gonna give the spoiler warning because i think parts of that discussion are best had with spoilers mm-hmm. i'll i will just yeah i'll just say i think it does hit that spot for game of thrones meets gladiator as these kind of big picture or uh pitches go so if you're someone who hasn't yet read this book and that appeals to you then i think it's a great book for you to check out but for sure for those of you who have read the book we are going to get into a no holds barred conversation about the rage of dragons and that means that it's gonna have spoilers and if you don't want to hear that Now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones. I will also mention we haven't yet read uh, the second book, so uh, we wouldn't even be able to spoil that, even if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So you're safe mm-hmm. here if you're like us and have only read The Rage of Dragons. Mm-hmm. But anyway, shall we get into this idea of Game of Thrones meets Gladiator? We've kind of had a few discussions on yeah. um, on our podcast about uh, these ways of pitching the book and shout lines accurate it feels yeah shout lines because Kristen cameron said once you know a good shout line is is short and is relatable to a popular like movie or something you know so he would probably love this shout line yeah i mean i remember mj coon who he interviewed the author of among thieves Mm -hmm. hers was game of thrones meets oceans 11 so it's basically (laughs) like as long as you have some sort of... Game of Thrones of, plus like, blockbuster movie. Right, exactly. <laughs> it definitely seems like a good formula. Because <laughs> I, I And I think there's these kind of like broad Game of Thrones meets, insert your favorite movie that's similar in subgenre uh, to your work, uh, that you kind of give to folks who aren't necessarily avid fantasy readers. So if you were to, for example, with MJ's work among thieves, if you were to compare it to the lies of Locke Lamora, that's actually like a much better way of pitching it to someone who reads a ton of fantasy. 
but then yeah you've got and, and i think there's several books i would i would point out are are good comparisons for the rage of dragons as well mm-hmm. and maybe I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later but yeah this game of thrones meets gladiator idea i think it's good because the revenge plot aspect of it the kind of like you killed you noble people killed my family mm-hmm. and now i'm fighting and seeking revenge because of that mm-hmm. in addition to just the constant battling and the and sword like fighting the and combat kind of for stuff. entertainment piece yeah also yes, it's also like a good... tra- it's also like a not so much entertainment although there's it's people training. gambling and watching but it's also yeah. a contest that has stakes and like there's actual meaning yeah. to why they're doing the thing they're doing, and it just so happens it has turned into something of a spectacle, while for for Gladiator, the spectacle was everything. It, the right. entertainment was the purpose. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I definitely see the comparisons, and then the Game of Thrones aspect, besides just being what people love to throw in as a way of getting people to be like oh you like the most popular show to come out in like the last decade uh well you'll like this two decades now so yeah so oh god we're we're getting the (laughs) watch i just had my birthday so a a little much for me to hear that game of thrones was premiered not within the last decade which was it when did season one premiere who knows well, anyway, I would say over a decade ago. But anyway, yeah. yes. Besides just being that, I think it's the whole like warring kingdoms. Not necessarily that the uh, what they're warring against is a kingdom, but the warring giant factions uh, also playing out. I think is where the Game of Thrones comparisons come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as sprawling, obviously, no. as Game of Thrones. No. It's super focused on Tao, which uh, I, I know you and I have gotten more and more into stories like that oh, yeah. lately that mm. uh, focus on a, pr- a principal character and oh, yeah. uh, go for their development so anyway i i think the comparison is apt uh i could totally like see more specific recommendations within the fantasy novel community that i would suggest but yeah if oh, you're yeah. pitching this to like someone who's not a huge reader i think that's a great way to pitch it what do you think charles yeah it gets the point across i don't really see much like it's so far down its own path it's swords and sorcery and there's dragons and there's politics but not to the same extent it's not written similarly to game of thrones and for the record the first episode of game of thrones aired on april 17th 2011 so it has been well over 10 years uh, so yeah, we are old. So over a decade now. <laughs> um, so, but that I get it because there's a lot in this story that was super exciting and also like surprising and shocking. So it does de- deliver on a lot of that from the Game of Thrones experience. But what I like about it and what you mentioned and what we knew going into it when we did the research was that Evan Winter was able to focus this story onto one character's POV for the most part. There's like a like a in, there's like an intro of what do they call it a prologue where <laughs> you know yes uh, uh, you know we're fantasy <laughs> we we've only yeah we've only here. done over two hundred episodes. What do you episodes? call it a prologue? Uh, there's a <laughs> prologue 
and there there's is, also a brief moment yeah yeah there's where brief you get moments the perspective you, of one of his enemies and you realize like oh tao's a freaking monster yes but some of the ones that, where you're in the enemies are, are kind of funny um i also believe there was one where we get the pov and i may be wrong about this but jayed um did we get a POV from him briefly at one point? Maybe I'm not, I don't I, think so, okay. but I am thinking now we did get uh, Kellen. Okay, we get Kellen to see the perspective that Kellen was like, "Oh yeah, I really didn't want to kill Tao's dad. That's why I cut off his hand." And mm-hmm. I, you remember that? Yes. Although we do get that explained later, but we we do get his perspective. It's kind of the Kellen's not such a bad guy chapter. Right, right. And I think that's good to know. And we could talk about like the whole revenge plot as we go along. Yeah. Um, as we get further into the plot of the book, because I think that's an interesting distinction uh, to make as Tao's getting his revenge on people and the reason why he wants revenge and the reason why he wants revenge on certain people. But I do want to just quickly end cap the discussion around being focused predominantly on Tao. To me, because there's a lot going on, right? This magic system is pretty unique, and there's a lot mm-hmm. to unfold about it. You know, there's a lot of world here, and the book is fairly yeah. short. Like, for like, a Game of Thrones can be fairly. a thousand plus pages long, right. you know? like, And we were reading Stormlight Archive, which you could fit four of these into a Stormlight <laughs> Archive book. So, like, it, I personally was really enjoying it and it helps me really kind of follow along and enjoy the story and it takes away some of the more um i'm gonna say oppressive parts of world building where it's like you feel like you have to track people and where we're going and what's happening i never had that issue with this book like maybe a little bit in the intro because you are just kind of jumping into this conflict but once we got into tau and and tau's story kind of took off i was like oh okay like i i'm I'm with this 100% of the way, the full way. And it just added to the enjoyment of it because this book has a lot of exciting action pieces that are the focus for a while. And I and I love that in this book. I don't think Game of Thrones, like there's some exciting fights and things, but there's more going on with like the politicking and the dialogue of the characters. I think this is much more like action adventure that I really mm. liked. And I think keeping it focused to one character allowed us to like get like see the complexities of the culture and the politics, but also have time for the action as well. And keep it compact and keep that reading experience like really solid. So I, I thought the creative direction to keep it pretty much Tao focused was really good. And I think it added to my overall enjoyment. Like I, I loved it. For sure, Charles. I think that I pitched it way back just based on what I was reading from other people's like reviews and uh, stuff. And everyone said, hey, yeah, there's actually great world building and a great magic system and like an interesting exploration of oppression and a caste system and all of this kind of stuff. But what what is so incredible about it is all of those serve the character arc oh, yeah. of Tao, our main character. And uh, I loved that idea when I was reading about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, let's see how this execution actually 
works. And Evan Winter absolutely nailed it. It's like we care about the caste system because Tao is a victim of this caste system and it affects him and his story. Because I think it's like uh, you... You don't, or I don't, I can't speak for other people, but just my way of reading, and I know yours too, Charles, mm-hmm. we're not into world building for world building's sake for right. the most part. Right. We're into world building as it serves the character foremost and, and the plot as well. And right. uh, it's like, I found myself super invested in these ideas presented in the world building, like the caste system, for example, because of how they impact the character. Because it humanizes all these things in a way that is going to make you empathize as a fellow human. And I love how Evan Winter was able to to do what feels like a pretty massive amount of world building to present a totally unique setting and one that oh, yeah. we don't get to see enough in fantasy mm-hmm. and do it all without it ever feeling like he's info dumping or uh, just doing exposition for its own sake so right. yeah, it's definitely a skill too. it's this interesting balance of like being super creative and fleshing out this world but also being very conscious of how you disseminate that information to the reader and always being conscious of the reading experience. And, you know, I found out Evan Winter has a lot of like filmmaking experience. Um, Mm. And like, so that makes so much sense to me because there's so much like in movies, you have an hour and a half, you know, almost three hours these days. <laughs> Not any. <anything. laughs> yeah, yeah but, good luck finding but... <laughs> an hour and a half movie these days, Charles. <laughs> so you got a three-hour movie, right? And there's a lot of these, like, you have to be very careful about how you keep the story moving. And a lot of the best movies do a very good job of, we could call it show over tell, but I think it's a little mm-hmm. bit more next level than that. I, I think it's like set up and pay off and keeping it relevant to the character arc and the story. And I want to get into setup and payoffs throughout this whole book because it's so brilliant. And when I realized after reading it that this guy had experience, that Evan Winter had experience in film, it makes so much sense because you get so many things that he's training us to remember and recognize that he has payoff shortly afterwards in a different way. And it's super interesting to watch the writing process. And that's why when it's like an indie author, that's such a rare thing. I think so many first-time authors, whether they're indie or not, uh, get so excited by their world and feel the need to explain it so much that you can kind of lose some of that. But we never lose sight of Tao, the character. And anything that we are introduced is introduced in a way that serves his character. The only times I felt like, okay, we're dragging a little bit are when Tao and Zori are just hanging out and Zori's explaining the magic system for long yeah. periods of time. But you're like, okay, like, I'm not going to complain but, about yeah. that. Like, we need to know. But also, <laughs> I mean, also, Tao is trying to learn about the magic system for yes. a very specific reason that yes. has to do with his main motivation for the story. And then he story. goes on and, and it's uses not... that knowledge. Right. It's not like one of those, uh, as you know, type 
expositions, right? Where it's like, why are these two characters talking about this thing that clearly they both know? It's because they're communicating that to the reader. Has the training, yes, and is able to send people to Isioko and all of that. And Tao is desperately trying to understand because how many times has he been thrown into the underworld by a gifted? Like even at the very beginning of the story when his village was raided. He was attacked by a gifted, and so he's. This has been part of his past and his trauma, and him trying to fight it. He's like, "Well, if I'm going to be the best, I have to be able to overcome this impossible thing, which is get over being in the underworld and being attacked by demons. And how do I do that?" So he's is very attentive, and very much quizzing her and trying to understand yes. what's going on. So. And then he ends up using that knowledge in the next, you know, scene and you're you're with mm-hmm. it the whole time. So even at his most expo dumpy, it's all within these parameters. <laughs> expo dumpy. <laughs> you just made like a portmanteau <laughs> of exposition and info dump. Yeah. <laughs> at his it's, most it's expo the dumpy. Spork, <laughs> right. It's a spork of uh, <laughs> of exposition <laughs> info dumping. So See. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Charles. Thank you. I, yeah, uh, as you were saying, when Evan Winter is going to give you some sort of, and I, I, I mean, it is exposition, but it's not unrealistic. It's the exactly right. the conversation that those characters would be having, mm-hmm. and and like I said before, it serves the character's motivation right it's in the dialogue i I don't have any scene right like the scene is i'm meeting you after training after just almost losing because we couldn't fight this gifted and i need to understand and then he like latches on to information and i love all of that stuff but like it all starts at the beginning and i think we can kind of touch on some of these plot points from the beginning um like not too much to say about the prologue for me uh, and and honestly the beginning to me this really kicks off when Tao is like gets the two swords and is like learning how to fight and is past okay. all of this stuff that's like my favorite stuff um but yeah. the beginning is still very good and it sets the pace right away there's a lot of familiar themes in the beginning of this book like we've seen many times where a lower class is treated unfairly by the upper class, right? So you kind of get that moment of the injustice of this class system. Even before Tao's dad is killed, you get these moments where um, there was like a rape from a noble to a lesser and, Mm. and like they tried to get the lesser off, but then the noble just goes and, kills them anyway and you know that's well they get yeah i mean they get banished right right they get banished for being the victims in the situation and then yes the uh, the noble like petty noble jabari's brother ends Mm. up getting them killed anyway so yeah you're getting you're getting a sense of the injustice and the oppression and all of that i i agree with you it definitely picks up once uh once Tao is training and For fighting. Sure. I and do like the that, moment but... where Tao confronts, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but the one of those nobles, and that's when he gets the eye injury. <laughs> one of them noble folks. <laughs> one of them noble folks. But when he gets the eye injury, you know, he sneaks into the bedroom 
with the knife mm-hmm. and is like, I'm not going to kill you today, but you better watch it and I'm going to come for you. You know, it kind of speaks to his <laughs> naivete and also yeah. to like how far he has had to come as a yeah. soldier, right? As a weapon of, he couldn't even get the one up on this, this like spoiled noble essentially. Um, that's how far of a disadvantage he was at, right? And he ends up killing him anyway. But it's like that plan was horrible, and it's like obviously the plan of a child in the middle of grief—well, not necessarily a child, but you know, a, a youth, obviously distraught with grief, not even fully processing it, thinking he's just going to be like, "I'm going to kill you one day," and think he can get away with it, you know. So that was a fun yeah. moment. But what it does launch us to is like Tao's drive for revenge and that is my favorite thing about this book and about this character is the drive for revenge and the lengths that Tao will go to become stronger you know I love that right. about this story like one of my again we talked about setups and payoffs like there was this conversation between Tao and uh, Jayed right who's the mm-hmm. head of the scale who recruited Tao and yeah. he's like, I'm choosing you not because you won, but because of your like your drive. You, you never stayed down. You kept getting up. And he's like, you need to give me everything. And if you want to be good, like you need to give me all of your time. That's what you're paying for. That is the setup to essentially him going into and training in Isiogo because he's like, I need more time. And time moves 50 times slower here. And, this and is you what can I need die to... over and over yeah, again. Yeah, you can die like, over can... and over again. And your enemies are very powerful and all that kind of stuff. So it's yeah. this perfect setup for him. Right. Uh, yeah, you and seem we like... Were... I have more to say, but Charles, yeah, yeah, yeah. you seem like you got you got more on it. So no, but ahead. I was just saying like that... Like, which... The time from them having that conversation to him training and Isiogo, which... I never saw coming, but loved the idea instantly of him doing that because it's absolutely insane. And you're just literally getting mauled <laughs> horrifically yeah. over and over by it's literal like my favorite concept. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like my favorite concept in this entire book is <laughs> that he would just go to Isiogo and just die over and over and over. Like, it's one of the most believable ways to do this. Like, right. uh, we take the... Obviously, Tao's not exactly just the, like, farm boy uh, <laughs> from the typical. But it is this kind of, like, humble beginnings, farm boy shepherd from the two rivers, like, Wheel of Time. Like, that kind of humble beginning, which has become such a mainstay in fantasy, and to actually level them up oh, sure. in a way that is believable, right. like this, is, like, it's it's unique and incredible. The only thing I could compare it to, Charles, which is what I could not get out of my head, mm. is you remember the Dungeons and Jer- or not Dungeon, the World of Warcraft episode of South Park. Yes, where they just train in like the lobby and kill like a hundred. <laughs> well, yeah, what they do is like so. There's this guy who's like going around killing everyone, right? If I'm remembering correctly, right. like, uh, and he's ridiculously powerful and all that kind of stuff, uh, and. They want to be able to fight against him. So the the kids, uh, 
Stan and the gang, they just take their characters and they like retreat into a forest and just fight these like really low level boars, right. but do it for so long that because they if get they went powerful into enough. Any like, of the missions or quests, the guy would find them and right. kill them. And it's not Stan and the gang, yeah. by the way. Stan came later. Stan's oh, the dad. Stan came later. Yeah, he he no, went Randy to the world of the war. Dad. Oh wait, no, Randy right. is the Randy's dad. Randy is the dad. I stand corrected. Which Embarrassing one is... yourself. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Stan's. I stand kid. corrected. Um, I don't know why I confused Boo. Stan with Randy, but uh, yeah, but uh, no, yeah, because if they would go in, they he would find them and kill them. So they had to train where he couldn't get to them. But the only right. enemies so that were there were like level one, barely any right. XP. It's and, not like a challenge to fight them either. It's just yeah. like mashing the button to to kill them over and over again. Yeah, this so is like that's the basically. Of that. <laughs> yeah, but the idea of just like going somewhere and just fu- like grinding, yeah. like doing, it is basically just grinding. straight up grinding forever. Right, <laughs> I I respect it. Oh and, yeah, the power scaling I think is something that is super well done because it can be almost a double-edged sword if you will for authors where it's like i need my main character to be (laughs) oh stop (laughs) it better than that that was it's not even a double-edged sword there's two swords they're not it's not one double-edged sword (laughs) two (laughs) double-edged you're better than that i was close enough that people someone out there chuckled okay i don't need to get i don't need to hear get this from you small percentage of our listenership that chuckled if just one you might have gotten that like that like nose exhale someone does when they're alone. <laughs> I'll take it. And... That's a win. But <laughs> and they're laughing. I'm trying to talk they... about the power scaling, and I'm trying to bring it back from the beginning where he was struggling. Power scaling. Oh, see, because of scale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that's, the scales. That's not that's not good either. But it's, it's you know, he's you know, talent. yeah, in for the your, scale, the bar in, for you in Jayad's scale. And, sure, and the bar for you is low. But it can obviously. be double-edged for authors <laughs> because you have to have your character have humble beginnings, but he also, or she, the character, also has to overcome immense odds and beat all their... Like, how do you do that, right? And in, in a way that feels earned and realistic. You And, like, you know, Harry Potter could be an example where it's like, oh, his first year he killed... Voldemort it's like how did he do that you know like he's a kid with barely <laughs> he any killed Voldemort training. when he was a baby yeah exactly so <laughs> and even where it's like in the example of the tryouts to even be a part of one of the scales you have to win a bunch of matches and it's like Tao is like well obviously Tao needs to be in one of these things and that would mean he would have to win a bunch of matches but I don't want him to be that good yet you know, that's right. kind of the balance that he's facing. And he fights Uduak. I love Uduak. He's one of my favorite characters. And that's a great name <laughs> for the kind of character that he is. Just a berserker with a giant sword. And yeah, they just brick wall. Just, just wailing on people, <laughs> whacking them. And uh, yeah, he loses, which normally would mean he's eliminated. But he was able to catch the eye of Jayed and get brought in. And he had his wrist, his arm broken. And so he was just losing all the time. And that's when he learned to develop, you know, a dual wielding kind of fighting style. So it's all worked into it. And I think Evan Winter, I I would love to ask him this, but I can tell that he spent a lot of time considering the power scaling of his main character. right? Because this whole book is pretty much about how he becomes 
this scary, strong fighter and how he kind of loses his sense of self a little bit in the pursuit of being the most powerful fighter. And like to the point where he may actually overcome some of these odds of like fighting and just genetically superior. That's what they want you to believe. Uh, nobles, right? So how can I get to that? And the lengths that he has Tao go through and the defeats that he has Tao go through while still being able to be a part of the scale and the team and and becoming more powerful is, is one of my favorite parts about this whole book. And yeah, and then that unlock. See, you thought about South Park. I thought about the hyperbolic time chamber in <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. You know where they, they like they yeah, need to fight Cell, but he's so strong. But time moves slower in the hyperbolic time chamber, so they go in there and they get super buff. But the hyperbolic time chamber was like, oh, it's just a place where it gives you everything you need to keep you comfortable so you can train. This is like the <laughs> hyperbolic time chamber. But if it was instead of <laughs> a, a paradise that will give you anything you need, it's the upside down, basically. Mm. So it's like the hyperbolic time chamber that takes you, but you have to go, but it's the upside down. And you're like, oh, God, you know, that's the kind of hellscape that Evan Winter created for Tao to train in, and it's so good. And I just love this idea of him like in bed being like, well, I got to give my time to this. I need more time. This place moves 50 times slower. This is where I'm going. And just spends his nights torturing himself and getting himself killed in painfully horrific ways, basically getting clawed, eaten alive almost, pretty much on repeat yeah. over and over. But the yep. end result, like that final power scaling of this where he's fighting like enraged people and he's doing this and that, it's super impressive. And it feels earned. And those moments at the end yeah, just feel rewarding. so epic and rewarding. Yeah. For sure. You touched on a, a couple really important things there, one of which you mentioned the idea of Evan Winter clearly planning out this sort of setup payoff idea. And I did watch an interview with Dan that Daniel Green conducted with Evan Winter, Daniel Green, YouTube extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to us, you probably know of him. And he, this was years ago, but uh, my memory of it is that he is fastidious with his planning and his uh, just outlining. He's, oh, I could tell. You know, they talk about the idea of pantsers, people that write by the seat of their pants versus uh, these outliners. And uh, Evan Winter, absolutely an outliner from my memory of it. And he, you can tell it because uh, he makes sure, as you're saying, everything feels earned. He makes sure, oh, well, I want Tao to fight amazingly with two swords mm. and it's like well why would he fight with two swords when there's like this is not the way people are trained and no one else is fighting with two swords mm. and he's like okay well uh, what if he broke his arm and he had to fight with the other arm and then you know he ends up just instinctively grabbing another sword and it's like okay i'm i'm right, buying into broke this his dominant hand, lesser, so he had to fight with right. his non-dominant hand while his right. dominant hand healed yes uh, so i'm thinking that uh, no pun intended a lesser author would 
You like that one, Charles? Yeah, I, I do like it. I support it. Yeah. So I ship it yeah, as unless, the kids say. Is that what they say? <laughs> so <laughs> a lesser author, though, would just be like, oh, I want my guy to be a badass fighting with two swords. So then they just are. <laughs> right. And or they just decide, oh, I'm going to be a two sword guy. And right. it's like. So easy to say, oh, his dad was a weapons master. So I'm a weapons master. And like. Right. That, yeah, and he didn't go that route. He had he like, Tawa to earn it. Boy. Oh, he did. And it's because of that relentlessness in the pursuit of revenge, which is, I think that character motivation is arguably the most important thing for getting a reader invested in your story. I don't, I don't know what would be more important than character motivation. Mm-hmm. And we have that. It's very clear what his motivation is. It's very justified why he would be motivated in that way. And his relentless pursuit of that is super interesting and i it reminds me of some of my other favorite characters like rin from the poppy war is one that i definitely had coming up for me which is like she's defined by that sort of relentless pursuit of her goals and not necessarily with the same like you know, natural strength as some other people, yeah. which of course is something that Tao deals with because uh, the the nobles are literally just physically larger and more gifted in those ways because of presumably like centuries of eugenics mm-hmm. that have have made them just like look and uh, nutrition and, and they all yeah stuff. that I'm sure contributes as well and. Then it's like you can look at someone and determine like some with some generality, like where they're going to fall in the caste system here. So Tao just has all these things working against him. And what's incredible about Evan Winter's writing is that he's able to help Tao overcome that, make him just an absolute juggernaut killing machine. And we never doubt it for a second. Yeah, and then those are rare moments when we go outside his perspective to see how far he's come and, like, how much he stands out by the end. Like, we take the POV of an enraged uh, at one point and towards the end, and she's, like, you know, super powerful, and it goes through her whole backstory about how she's, like, always been strong, and and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, there's that lesser over there with two swords. How right. odd that he would have two swords. It's like, oh, he's getting a little closer. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a shame that there's like 12 people surrounding him. So whatever. And it's like, oh, he's like coming towards me. Okay. And then actually, like she starts to get scared and she retreats. Yeah. And that is like, whoa, okay. Like we're under, and it feels earned and it doesn't feel like, like, oh, your powers are unlocked and now you can kill anyone all of a sudden. It's like, no, we know what Tao's been through. He's like fought in the underworld for forever. He's kind of like transcended a bit from some of these other fighters and he's able to take on Enrage. And then he takes on an Enrage at the end of the book. And so like we've been kind of trained and prepared yeah. for these. Again, we talk about the setups and payoffs. It's like we know how the Enrage works and he's able to actually defeat one at the end of the book. And that's like one of the climactic 
battles at the end is how he uses one his knowledge of how the magic system works and two right. like his previous confrontations with enraged and what we know about enraged um made it shine through and and that was a fun battle at the end um and it's always about like getting the power balance correct getting the stakes correct and scaling his power correctly and i could just tell that he's a plotter and an outliner because so i can just see the amount of thought and detail that went into all of these moments to make them feel earned and like get him to feel like he's like a flipping super saiyan out there compared to everyone else because of all the battles that he's gone through to get to that point like brought to death and back hundreds of times it was a really cool thing to 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 see unfold for tal and then you combine it with the fact that he's a lesser in a super classist society like at the end he doesn't even bow to the queen right and it's like bow tao and he's like no like i just killed a I just killed an enraged like I'm not bowing to anybody you know like and the queen was yeah. like that's fair you know props <laughs> and, and you're like, well, who's gonna stop him yeah exactly <laughs> right? right it's like at that point he gets to who's gonna stop me and it's super interesting that you compared him to Vin I think that's such a great comparison Rin, Rin. yes the Vin one from, from Poppy Mistborn. Wars the Poppy Wars yes. one yes <laughs> I meant the poppy. It ain't easy. It ain't easy. Because there's uh, there's also this cautionary tale in the pursuit of revenge and the pursuit of power. mm. I'm not going to get into spoilers for the poppy war, but one of the main themes is she's so dogmatically pursuing power that she's kind of sacrificing herself. Right. And at the beginning of this book, it's the same thing. It's like, you need to give me your time. Any thoughts of having a life like are gone and belong to training. And we know Tao, which I mad respect, by the way, at the beginning, Tao's like, I could just not fight and, like, get injured and, and walk away from the right. whole thing. It's like, what a reasonable idea to have <laughs> that I'm sure I would have if I was a protagonist. I'd be a very boring one. I'd be like, or I could just not <laughs> you know, go home and watch TV instead. Right. Like, the fact that that was an option until it was taken away from him. Right. Like, so this idea of, like, he still has... Uh, Zuri, right? And they still meet and yeah. he still like wants to have a life with her and he has his friendships along the way that he's making, but like he's paying that cost and there's some things that he won't let go and it's super interesting and that's when like Zuri's death at the end is like okay, there's nothing keeping this guy tethered yeah. to his it's life last anymore. Thread. Yes. Right, right. That's connecting him to any humanity or any sense that he might be a normal functioning person yes. in a society right. and it just makes him a uh, revenge incarnate right, right. and right. he because he still he still has one more person to kill and i think yeah it's interesting the the way that I really like how Evan Winter writes the relationship between him and Zuri. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, there's no melodramatic elements of it. Like, there's parts where she gets kind of mad at him, but it's also, like... But she's also, like, uh, emotionally mature and, like, knows how to, like, bring him in anyway. (laughs) And, like, take a little bit more initiative in their relationship and stuff. 
they're clear like about their feelings. Yeah, they're clear about their they're feelings. clear about their feelings to each other in a way that is rare among fantasy protagonists and and their love interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I applaud Evan Winter for writing it that way, and also Tao as he's dealing with Zuri. It's interesting the way that his priorities kind of come out by accident like Mm. it'll be moments where he's thinking like he's about to say like oh you're almost the most important thing in the world to me and like that's because the most important thing in the world to him (laughs) is training and getting better i love you almost as much as fighting or something as fighting yeah like i really like fighting (laughs) no he's i think it's not i love i think he says uh I think about you all the time. Like, I think about you almost as much as training or right, something right, like right, that. Right. Which to and him, it was a genuine just, compliment. But to her, it's like, you realize right. you just said you like fighting more than me. You know, like. <laughs> well, think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think. Fun. But she knew. And but there's she other moments them, you know, like it's, that. It's, yeah. it's an endearing moment. It's funny. And for Tao, it's so true because when he's not with her, he's just so absorbed with training. And you know that he's thinking yeah. about training all the time. So. Like, it's just funny. <laughs> it's true to the character. I I think it's really... Uh, there's no real opportunity for us to do this on the air, I don't think. But it's really interesting to compare and contrast the Zuri and Tao relationship with Quoth and Denna relationship, oh boy. by the way. Somehow I, I'm not going to get into, into it. No, no. You can't <laughs> tell me you didn't think about it at all. I really no? didn't, but... It is interesting, yeah. I mean, well, I feel like Zuri I can't really get and into Tao are a lot more straightforward. <laughs> well, that's part of the contrasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's, I think it's interesting. I, I won't get into it. Maybe we'll talk about it off the air at some mm. point, Charles. Mm, but sure. uh, yeah, there's a lot of differences. I love out there. Yeah, right. It, yeah, sorry. King Killer Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss is what I'm talking about if you haven't read that one. Mm-hmm. But, and that's one of my favorite romantic relationships, uh, if you want to call it that, in, uh, in fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's written very differently from this one. And this one is written in a way that uh, the characters act a lot more uh, maturely than the sure. ones in, in the King Killer Chronicle. But I think that it, it's so, I mean, Wheel of Time, I won't get into the specifics of which characters, but there's uh, the way that the relationships, the romantic relationships are written in that is very like, uh, why don't people just like tell each other how they feel about each other? It's like, it was, I remember there's a character that in, one of the books just like asked their love interest like if they could kiss them at some point in wheel of time and i was like oh my god like this is like book three or four or whatever <laughs> and finally a character like was clear that they had feelings for another character right, right. Uh, and it was such a relief <laughs> and then in in this book like yeah there's a little of like zuri holding back when you can tell she wants to say i love you um but I don't know. I think that's pretty normal. And the development of the relationship is like that. That kind of stuff happens all the time in in Mm. the real world. And then, yeah, finally she does say I love you. And I was like, oh, she's cooked. And then I was like, that is more accurate than I meant it to be. 
Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) But it was funny because, like, again, talking about the setup and payoffs, that moment was set up too because right before that, they were fighting a gifted who was trapped in Isiogo because their um, elevated wouldn't let them go. And you saw how the death was possible and how it played out. And then that was literally moments before we see something very similar happening with Zuri and we know the stakes and we're like, oh my gosh, if she doesn't disconnect from this dragon, she's going to like shoot blood out of her face and stuff. Like it's going to be a not happy ending at all. And that they're talking about like the burning bright and all this other stuff. And then they also mentioned drawing power from Isiogo, like all that stuff that has been set up. And I knew from the beginning when Zuri was like, never take power from Isiogo. I was like, oh, this dude's taking power from Isiogo. Like, right. Oh, all, yeah. like, definitely. And he does. But it he does it when she's doing something she's not supposed to do, like by holding on to the dragon. And it was like a really nice, like she sacrificed herself basically in a way that we were able yeah. to understand and honestly think that she could get out of. Like there were moments in that in those stakes where it's like she could survive. And then ultimately it was this sacrifice that she went out on and you're like, Oh my God, he actually went there. You know? And that to me is a really just a testament to Evan Winter's writing ability. When you can create those stakes and there is that, I honestly don't know. It could go either way. Like what is going to happen in this very intense moment? And yeah, it was in a way that kind of portrayed Zuri as this final moment of, compassion basically to sacrifice herself to save the others and it's also the last thread that Tao had to any kind of reality so it's interesting to see when the book ends he's just like sitting there like looking out the window and not saying anything and you're like oh my god this guy is like next level dangerous so right i mean he was already just seeing the demons everywhere right as he's just going about his day-to-day life which was also very there were times again talking about the like in that moment where like the person he was trying to get revenge on is like right there and he's like finally and then his friend jabbar is like tell i'm i'm losing my battle and he's like ah god like you could there's like that moment of like what do i do you know do i protect this noble who was my friend at one point, or do I get my revenge? Everything I've sacrificed for right here, right now, you know? And he does make the choice to save Jabari, which there's still a little bit of that. And you could tell he gets tested a few times like that, where he had the moment to drop everything and get his revenge, but it meant leaving his friends or doing the right thing. It meant doing the wrong thing, basically, leaving his friends to, to suffer. So it, it is kind of still there and is, that was that yeah. was before Zuri. Yeah, that got, was before Zuri. Cooked. Yes, yes, this was all before so, Zuri was killed. So, so it I leaves think, that question mark, right? Of like, is he completely gone, or is there like you know what does this mean to get revenge? And keep in mind, another thing that I like about it is one of those characters like didn't even really want to kill Tao's dad he cut the hand off as a way to try and de-escalate it as best as he could and remember we saw from the beginning how to de-escalate usually means like we'll just banish them we won't kill them so I'll just chop your hand off I won't kill you it's still a pretty raw deal but that's how they kind of are like like look this in our society I am trying to throw you a bone here like I just cut his hand off you know like he still could have survived if you hadn't well I mean the position that 
Yeah, that's Kellen. The position, yeah. the position that he'd been put in, that really was the the best shot of getting Tao's dad out alive. I mean, right? I I think so anyway. And then we get this kind of. I I like the redemption arc of of Kellen mm-hmm. here. It it's pretty understated compared to some redemption arcs i think that that is Mm. uh, purposeful from i think evan winter just is not about the melodramatic he wants his drama to come from the real moments of drama and he doesn't want to distract from it by having every single thing become this big dramatic moment right and he kind of like redeems kellen through like oh we get to see his point of view and understand where he's coming from Mm -hmm. and then we see him in action and the choices that he's making in these critical moments toward the end of the book uh they're in line with someone who's a pretty noble reasonable person and it's like oh that's cool and i really like that because it lets us keep our attention on tao and his story and mm-hmm. it allows for those moments to really hit well because Evan Winter has restraint in when he's making these big dramatic moments. For sure. And like when you're writing a revenge story, I think it's really nice to have a little bit more of that conflicting. Like it's almost like Tao becomes the bad guy <laughs> in a way, you know, like he's so focused on seeking revenge that he's actually like being the thing he sought to destroy you know that kind of that kind of warning which is a classic revenge story yeah i think element or at least when people try to subvert the revenge story somewhat uh there's there's another revenge i don't know if it's spoiler if i even mention the name of the book now but there's another uh revenge story that that this reminds me of in in some ways i'm just gonna say it uh, uh, Best Served Cold by Joe Abercrombie. No spoiler, I think there's that's a, a lot of story. similar. Yeah. Y- yeah. There's just similar themes, I think. I won't get oh, yeah. into any plot details. You know, have you seen the movie Pig with um, um, Nicolas Cage? No. It's a great. Did you mean Babe? No, I meant pig. <laughs> I'm looking for my truffle pig. You know, it's a great movie. Uh, Fantastic revenge story. Are you sure this wasn't like a dream you had at oh, some point? No, this of is like a, Nicolas Cage in a movie called It's pig? actually a rare modern Nick Cage movie that's good. And it's a great movie about revenge and seeking revenge. and um, A truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon wilderness. Mm-hmm must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved forging pig after mm-hmm. she is kidnapped. Is this like a knockoff of John Wick? <laughs> it's it's way... I, I love the movie, but like, Wait, you, you watch like the it trailer... Better than John Wick? I do like it better than John Wick. John Wick is fun, but it's like it's people getting shot. You know, it's cool. It's an action movie. It's fun, but pig makes you think. Nick Cage is such a mixed bag these i know like, i know what is he Most doing like this is bad. terrible but that and one then there's is random good. ones where he's like and they really pick, good they pick him on purpose and it's a great pick and we could talk about it someday but this the trailer is hilarious it's just like i'm looking for my truffle pick <laughs> it's like great <laughs> line it's a good movie and i have a lot to say about like why they cast nicholas cage and why it's a good like revenge story or like you know i'm trying to find who took my pig you know like i'm trying to like 
get justice and and it's it's super good but anyway it kind of reminds me of that because there's this whole you could take it a bunch of ways you could take it like i overthrew this big bad and prevailed or like i'm a little bit lost in the revenge sauce and going a little crazy and we get a little (laughs) bit of both (laughs) we get a little bit of both in this one and i think evan winter's trying really hard to get a more rounded experience for tau um so like i think this is a trilogy right it's planned to be a trilogy so it might even be planned don't quote me on this but i feel like i heard somewhere uh, it might be four orbit books, books re-released the rage of dragons and signed winter to a four book deal okay a, so a quartet a quartet so, <laughs> which i only know because of robert vs reddix yeah uh, the chathrin voyage quartet that's right four books so a rare thing in fantasy very rare but it's interesting you know i it kind of you kind of avoid the second book slump a little bit when you gotta like when there is no middle well, hopefully yeah. or you have a two book long but like there's slump. a long way for tau to go so it, it seems like there's going to be a lot more dimensions here than we oh well expecting. i trust devin winter after reading this one oh yeah he's, yeah. Gonna deliver he's considered it all already for sure like the like it's all plotted already and like I'm excited to read the second book and to see where it goes. The fires of vengeance, already kind of telling, of the, like you see, like that could mean both a positive thing, like he's fiery and he's powerful, or it could be like vengeance will burn you up and like, right. destroy you, right? So it's got that kind of double meaning there. That like Tao's kind of battling on both sides of his revenge arc right now with. So, um, very interesting. Yeah. I'm interested to see if he if he sticks as closely to Tao mm. in the next book, uh, or if he starts to expand the live point up to the views. Game of Thrones comparison it's... a bit more by like <laughs> blowing this thing out. Right? <laughs> just, yeah, Tao well, gets immediately killed in the beginning of the next book. <laughs> it's going to be a challenge, and I trust that Evan Winter will succeed in. Uh, approaching this challenge but it's, it's gonna be a challenge if uh, especially if he sticks to tau extremely closely that if someone loses their humanity entirely it becomes very hard for the reader to empathize and be as invested in their plight and mm. i think that like that's why these characters like you, you think of these characters that are uh extremely like revenge focused or like do all these horrible things they always try to have like a spark of what makes them human right and i feel like we lost that with zuri Mm -hmm. and i don't see any easy replacement for that Mm -hmm. and i don't know it's gonna maybe it's like if his humanity so yeah we'll see like he'll have to do a lot of developing the queen then i think that it's like a big conflict that we're grappling with in the rage of dragons is like, will Tao lose his humanity? Like, will he be able to mm-hmm. maintain a sense of who he is and what he cares about and values when he's so focused on revenge? Totally. And it's like, well, if he's, it feels like he ended this like all in on revenge and pretty damaged. And like we said, the last thread has been uh, uh, snapped. 
I don't know. It's going to be a challenge. I'm interested mm-hmm. to see how Evan Winter is able to like either maintain that conflict or gets invested in a different conflict mm-hmm. in order to maintain the interest that we we had in the Rage of Dragons. Yeah, and I mean, he starts to expand the world a little bit. We got the Civil War kind of thing going on um, from a political standpoint. So it's... And Tao's kind of taking that commanding role. Like for the main reason he says it was to kill Abasi Odili, but you know he is assuming a lot of responsibility, and maybe he'll be won over by his comrades and his queen, and get a little bit of national. He does care about yeah his sword brothers. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that he care. He he took it. He took it pretty hard when uh, Jaya died. Yeah, that was. I think that was another moment of kind of like, no matter how strong I get, I still can't protect everyone. Yeah, sort of that thing. was a like big I'll one. still lose people that I love, no matter how strong I get. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jaya's kind of the appetizer, and then the main course is Zuri. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, again, <laughs> a setup idea. The, <laughs> and, you know, also playing off Zuri got cooked. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. She, 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 uh, but not before experiencing some pretty gnarly stuff in uh, Isihoko. Um, yes. So, yes. no, I, I agree. And it's, it's again like the pursuit of becoming this powerful tool. Cause that, that's the other thing. Like, revenge is one piece of it, but it's also like giving yourself up to being as powerful as you need to be to protect people like the just the pursuit of that you're losing people anyway and you're like losing these moments of being able to spend time with zuri and being able to train with your sword brothers and this and that just in the wholehearted pursuit and even jayed kind of pedals back a little bit from like he was like you need to give me all of your time to be like no one actually gives all their time tal that's insane like they have that conversation a little (laughs) later on and Tao's like, what are you talking about? You're the one that told me to do this. And he's like, I didn't think you'd like go that hard. You know, like you're, you're going <laughs> too far. And I'm the guy that told you to give all your time. And I'm saying you're giving too much time. And right. that is. It's like he's it, used to normal people <laughs> that if you say you got to give all your time, they'll find some, maybe they'll work harder and they'll find some middle ground. And then it's like, oh, no, you're not supposed to actually literally do the thing I said. Yeah, it's more like, to push you in the right direction. A hundred percent. And that is an interesting moment, too, because I, I feel like there's two separate tracks. Like there's the pursuit of revenge and there's the pursuit of, of like power. And, like, he tells himself it's to protect people, but you kind of see a little bit that that may not be as strong of a motivation as he thinks. And it's more, I don't know, because to me it's like, yes, his father was killed, and, and that's, you know, can be a big motivator for Tao, and certainly it is. But there's these moments where, like, it's kind of beyond any of that, and this guy just loves to fight. And loves to be strong, get stronger, and loves to train. And a lot of that, yes, comes from wanting to like beat nobles and stuff. But you can also tell he's like obsessed with it beyond that. And and there's like a like a 
how it, it almost kind of deteriorates the, the whole reason he was doing it in the first place. Like he forgets totally, like his father's memory is not brought up that much. He doesn't talk about his dad like at all. Um, and so it's interesting to see like, is that his motivation? It, it's hard to even tell. Are we going to get this moment where like, I don't want to spoil Breaking Bad, but kind of like that, where it's just like, like, like oh I had cancer so I made drug so I sold drugs and oopsie daisies I'm a drug lord where he's like no it was cool as heck and I liked being powerful <laughs> you know there's a little bit of that a little bit of that oh for sure and there's this quote and I think I mentioned it actually in our Poppy War episodes or maybe it was when we were on Phantology podcast uh, as a feature on The Burning God which is one of the Poppy War trilogy books uh, I th- there's this quote that is always attributed just as an African proverb I've never seen who actually said it uh, but it's the child who's not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth and I mm-hmm. think that there's this part of uh, of Tao where he represents someone who's just been beaten down so heavily in this society by this caste system Mm. uh, that he's looking for reasons and revenge is one and protecting the people around him is another. But really he just is like, has been rendered so powerless that now he is kind of pursuing power for its own sake and Mm. become this kind of force of destruction. And I think he's not like a bad person inherently. So he wants reasons uh, that are justifiable as to why he's doing the things that he's doing. Mm. I think they do play a role, of course, as to why he's doing the things he's doing. But sometimes I think it does go beyond that, like you're saying, Charles, and it's... uh, uh, is fighting for the sake of like gaining power and it's uh, doing that to burn down the things around him. Right. And uh, we'll, yeah. yeah. And that's we'll kind of paralleled where... with like the upper class, right? It, it's like the pursuit of power is so prevalent. It, it's when you find out that the dragon is just like held hostage, you know, it's like we pursued power so badly, like a hundred and, you know, in the prologue, where it's like, yeah, we could have had peace and we could have coexisted, but uh, instead we're the chosen and we're going to burn your your village. We're going to burn your army to ashes with a dragon that we forcibly, like, uh, are, like we captured the, the baby dragon to force the other dragons to right. cooperate. You know, like having a hot dragon hostage. And, like, there's something to be said about the pursuit of power in that too and it's kind of interesting how Tao is now in a position of actual power as well as being powerful so we'll see how he kind of copes with being part of the system that he trained to destroy right well I do think he wants to burn it down oh yeah and for sure I think that's uh yeah that's where this is likely to head but and, he's seeing uh, kind burning of the, it down there's so much hypocrisy well with... in the existing power sure. too that you almost wonder like like the, the just the like the pursuit of power itself is inherently like going to create these bad like it's going to kind of take away from your life and, and cause these these power corrupts pa- corrupting moments people, exactly people say that power corrupts <laughs> and now Tao has been given a lot of power so we'll see how it treats him but 
in this book, it has not gone well for anyone else. So we'll see. I, I find it fascinating. I, to me, I love the power scaling. I, I, to me, that's the most brilliant part in the training um, and the, just the, the stakes in every match yeah. are so thoughtful to the end, right? It, it, all the matches, because sometimes you do like a Hunger Games situation where you're like, okay, you know she's not going to lose right away. Like, there's no stakes here. But um, in this, there's stakes at every moment because it wasn't necessarily, is he going to win or lose? And he loses a lot. Uh, and yeah. it's it's just all about how he perseveres and how he loses himself in the pursuit, right? in the training, in his revenge. And yeah, it was just some, and there's just these fun action pieces along the way. And I love the visual of the dual wielding. Like, there's a lot of movies out there or books out there that should be made into like shows or movies. This would make a fantastic movie. Like, you need a good budget. You need a great, you need, yeah, you need big budget. Got it. Yeah. Like, I think a, a series would almost be too much. It would be a fantastic movie. Like, just show us. I could see it. I could see it on HBO. I mean, you could like, see it. Not a mini HBO, series, or, right? But. No, I mean, but so I'm just thinking of these, like, uh, I I just think of these moments where, like, the huge numbers of his scale, like, crash into the noble <laughs> divisions because they have so many numbers. It's like, I don't know. I think that hbo could do that pretty well but of course a movie spinning his blades you know his hand and like approaching i just think of him i just think of him as as such a berserker and just like his hands almost like yeah like just like his arms just like he's got the lightsabers and and he's just spinning them like yeah it's kind of like that (laughs) like i just see him in my head like it's very uh I don't know, cinematic of him charging at people and yeah. arms just. But like, he's got oh. almost this look of like apathy a lot of times on his face, right? Where he's just like, I'm like, this is just another moment, another fight. You know, I've done about right. a million of these. And it just like, I mean, the passivity in which he will do some of these things is insane. It's yeah. Well, it's muscle memory when you've died like thousands, who knows how many times in Isiogo at this point, and you've spent it all just fighting demons. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't know. It's so natural to him. I think that it's going to be visual. exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think yeah, it'd be it'd be a cool one. I don't know. You always hear about these books getting like. Was the word optioned or yeah. whatever? Mm-hmm. It's a long process. I don't know. Have you heard it's... anything about Rage of Dragons or seen anything? I haven't, but I haven't really done any research. I just think it's it's primed and ready. You know, um, I'm sure there's been talks plenty of times. It's just hard to find the right home a lot of times. You know, like to go even the best scripts to get made. But he's got a movie background, so he's got like a film background. So you think he'd be You'd think he'd have some connections or something. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I mean, there's some that you know we've talked about. We've talked about Joe Abercrombie's First Law a couple times already, but we've always talked about like absolutely love those books. I don't know how you would adapt them. Like, how do you adapt them while keeping the charm of the story and just like the voice that Joe Abercrombie presents in it. And that's another guy who has uh background yeah, in, he was uh, like a TV editor or in, something. Yeah. It's 
movie editor, yeah, TV editing, movie editing, uh, something in that realm. But you just don't really see it, and you'd be worried if it was getting adapted. I totally see it with the Rage of Dragons. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. I see it one hundred percent. You can get yeah. an A-lister well, in there. Like a Michael B. Jordan type, but maybe someone younger. Well, you need someone young to play Tao. I don't know. I mean, they age people up all the time for these things, but I think it's like critical to his story that he's he's still he young enough. He needs to be young and ignorant his... enough to get his dad killed yeah. by running his mouth, you know? Because <laughs> that's a big part yeah. of it. Yeah, there's that, and also... There's something better about the getting revenge for your dad plot when you're still young enough to de- like be primarily <laughs> well dependent said. on your dad. Yeah. Yes, that's well said. Uh-huh. Or it's like, come it's here, like, son. Let me let's do some training today. It's like, don't skip on your training. <laughs> It'd be weird if he was like thirty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know. Find some good young actor. And Just pick someone new, happen. a young up and comer. You know. Like, well, that's always, it's another conversation, this, but I've always felt like the best uh, sci- sci-fi and fantasy, uh, like movies and things like that, are like the Star Wars cast. made with, yes, are made with a mostly new cast or at least like relatively new people in the role of like the protagonist. Because you don't want to be, when you're trying to go to a whole new world, you don't want to be looking at the person and being like, oh, that's Nicolas Cage. Like, you <laughs> oh, want to be, obviously, he if they cast the Nicolas Cage, just, movies, and right, he's obviously exactly. never going to get like, embarrassed or like defeated because he's the rock so right there's all these movies where <laughs> that's a thing right choice. you watch Could the you movie it's like the rage of dragons starring the rock <laughs> the rock is tell <laughs> it's just like a the fast rock could be his dad movie. that would be funny but there's no way yeah like the rock well, would agree too small to that. a role yeah too small you'd have role, to well any the rock could be the rock could yeah true True. I mean, but I think that was an issue with Black Adam where he like was like, I need to be the star. Like, I am not getting I can't get like defeated like this and that. Like, really? Yeah, I think that's a thing about that. Yeah, I think like he's kind of lame. I think he like upset the Shazam guy because like he basically because I guess they're both like those two characters are intertwined in the DC universe. But like the rock was like, no, it's all about me. (laughs) <laughs> and you know like that kind of oh, stuff that's kind of lame I, right. I like the rock but uh i was thinking he could be uh Dejan? how do you say that name d-e-j-e-n the guy who dies at the end who's like going berserk and is just a total beast but you know who's probably better for that batista oh yeah he would be cool. he'd be good he'd be a good right? one i think he's trying to get out of the typecast of the berserker though i think i read an interview where he was like i want people to see me as an actor you know and he did that he was he did that movie i just that watched Shyamalan yeah movie. not yet like a knock at the cabin oh, or whatever watched i watched that movie good? yeah you know it was one of the best like Shyamalan films okay. i've seen in a because it while. seemed interesting i mean i don't know if I that's saw high Shyamalan and i was like no way i'm watching that like that you guy's taking enough of my time <laughs> it's better yeah i totally understand that I, I don't know it just came on some streaming service and it was right there 
And I was like, hmm. you know what? I'll throw it on. And if it doesn't keep my attention, I'll go do something else. But it kept my attention. It's not bad. It, look, I'm not going to tell you you got to go go out and watch it right now. But Isn't as these Shyamalan movie go, movies go, I mean, he totally like lost me with... You remember The Happening? This is mm, way back. Mark Wahlberg. I don't think I watched that. Okay, I'm about to spoil it. So if you, this episode's basically over. So if you don't want the happening, a God, 2008, like 2008. I was just gonna say that. Oh, I was nice. just gonna say that. You were saying it. Yeah, uh, I'll give that to you. I, I, you could probably hear in the podcast me be like, eh. but <laughs> anyway, I was gonna say that. Uh, yeah, if you don't want a 2008 Shyamalan movie spoiled for you, then you know you've had plenty of time to. Skip ahead at this point, or you've tried skipping ahead. And I'm still in the preamble and haven't <laughs> talked about it yet. Uh, anyway, it's just like the plants were like randomly killing everyone as a way of like getting revenge for like deforestation oh, or something. Oh, that's horrible! <laughs> it's so stupid. That's so bad. I don't know if it was like yeah. It's oh. just so the happening is a really oh. interesting like premise, oh. which Shaman's great what at. A is the premises? Concept. Oh. Yeah, so like people are just I get like what they were going the way for, that it works, like H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds kind of thing. But still, that's bad. The way it works is people just start like dying in mass numbers by suicide, and it's like, why are people doing that? And it's clear that they're basically being like controlled in some way, like to be forced to do this, mm-hmm. and then. Mark Wahlberg and and the crew end up finding out that it was the plants taking revenge. So I, I I don't know if it was just like defore, deforestation or but it's, it was generally like you're not treating the earth well and the plants are mad. <laughs> so that was the big twist. But you know end. what? It is exactly one hour and thirty one minutes long. So <laughs> right in there. You know what? We found a movie that was. Well, Zoe Deschanel is that his was... wife in the movie. Whoa! I forgot that. Wow! Is that so? That's probably before Five Hundred Days of Summer, too. I mean, it Deschanel. was. It was after like Elf. I think Five Hundred Days of Summer was two thousand nine or something. Five Hundred Days is two thousand nine. You're right. Yep. It is. Oh, hey, there you go. What am I supposed to do with this talent that I have? Charles, like, naming... I'm supposed to, you know, wrap <laughs> up a year? podcast about the Rage of Dragons. All right, let's do that. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know how to transition to that. But, uh, you know what? Batista what? would make a... <laughs> Batista. Uh, you know what? I, I, okay, last thing, last thing, because this is why we got on the tangent... Batista does play a more like actor, capital A actor role right. in Right. And I think that, that was he's not like he was being interviewed for press for that movie. And he's oh, okay. and he specifically said, like, this is a great opportunity for me because I don't want to be typecast as the brute. I want to be yeah. an actor. And I guess this was him getting to act a little bit more, not so much. He does, punch and he people. does a good job. He does a good job, and it's good. You know, it's. I mean, he's get always totally good, like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like he's good in those. Yeah. Just as an actor, I mean, he plays. But that's a brutish... what he wants to get away from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is just like this comic his, relief. His acting brute. chops shine through. I haven't seen. I heard the third one's good, but I just can't be. 
I just can't be going I'm to gonna Marvel see movies it. anymore. Like, I'll that's check. one I'll make an exception for. I heard it was good though. I heard that it, you know, it's James Gunn's Marvel swan song, and that it was actually like a nice, visually interesting movie. Which I'm like, okay, well, that I can I can sit through. But yes, but can you, listener, sit through <laughs> another? <laughs> <laughs> minute of us talking about things that aren't to do with the Rage of Dragons at all, I think not. So it's probably time for us to <laughs> to have our swan song, mm. uh, which is the outro music. Well said, Dylan. Just on a <laughs> parting note, I genuinely, re- I was genuinely, you know, going into this with high expectations. Even then, I didn't think I would like it as much as I did. You know, I was like, oh, it's super popular. You know, these super popular books sometimes kind of, you know, they hit a nerve for people and they like it. I don't know if it's... It and they can disappoint because you're so... Yeah, yeah. Like, the hype is so big. And then you go to read it and you're like, this is what everyone but, was, like, so like, pumped about? I was but. very, very impressed in a lot of ways. Like, it's so well written and, like... The reading experience, the setup and payoff, the character development, the the development of the themes, both of revenge and power and classism and racism. And it's like like all through one point of view, for the most part, very well done. So that's just my, my parting kind words. I, I didn't want to do Evan Winter Dirty with all that rambling, although I love to ramble. Don't get me wrong. Now I'm thinking if I should go to the movies. I haven't been to the theater in months. But am I... Eh, I don't know. We'll see. Will I see Guardians of the Galaxy 3? That remains to be Stay seen. Stay tuned. Get it? Remains to be seen. <laughs> Much like me in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. <laughs> so, but... Uh, well... I'll just yeah I'll just double down on what you said about how great the book is. Uh, I agree with all the things Charles said, mm. and I think that it'll be probably not too long. I think before we dive into Fires of Vengeance, you know, sometimes totally we have pretty down. long breaks in between books one and two because we're trying to read a a bunch of different stuff. But I think you know we've got the bug at this point so and you know, i imagine we're reading the book that wouldn't burn then we can do the fire of vengeance and it will get like this theme going of, of book titles that have to deal with fire in some way you know oh well isn't th- aren't we also reading uh, the battle drum which, which is the ending the fire, fire trilogy, trilogy? Yeah, we sure are Dylan. we sure yeah that's are. sarah elorifi's uh follow-up to the final strife mm-hmm. which comes out pretty soon from when this yeah this podcast release i mean this the, podcast episode let's see the releases. battle drum when does that come out it's like early may i i want to say it's out already oh no may 23rd no, okay mid-may so we got some time you still Late got may. a week or two before it comes out um yeah. So be on the lookout. Well, we Charles, you finished it already, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the process. <laughs> We've got a week before we are t- going to talk about it. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll be done. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. It's a great book. No, so. it's 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 great. Looking forward to chatting about more fire themed books. And some interesting in parallels future. too cuz it's like the similar like although I would say like Battle Drum is more inspired by like Ghanaian roots in the setting, whereas Rage of Dragons is like a full on like an an 
like an African setting, but there's like Middle Eastern and African for Sara. But it's kind of interesting to see the, the the parallels there. Two great young voices in the fantasy genre whose best work is still ahead of them. You know, the future of fantasy is bright. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well said, Charles. So can we play the outro The future music? of this episode is us playing the outro music and then leaving. Well said. So I'm just <laughs> going to get that outro music pumping <laughs> so we can leave. That guy, we were so focused, I feel like. We are really good for like, we, yeah, go hey, you know, we are good. And just like you guys are so good for listening. Thank you all so, so much for coming on and listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, if you want to support us, one of the best ways to do that is give us a little follow over on the socials. That's at the FTF Ooh, Podcast a little on, follow. on Instagram. Just a little, a cheeky little follow on uh, Instagram at the FTF Podcast and uh, Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than just that cheeky little follow over on Twitter, (laughs) what can they do? Toss us a cheeky little five stars. Ain't nothing cheeky about the five stars, baby. That's That's the mother load. That's the mother load. You can do that over on Spotify now, which is where most of you are listening. It's just two clicks over at the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed, and it helps us a ton when you do that. We really appreciate it. You can also rate and or review on Apple Podcasts. You can write us a review that just talks about whether or not Charles should go see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 as long as you give us five stars. You can ramble about whatever you want in that review. We don't care. Uh, You know, it's nice if you say something really nice about the show. But, yeah, five stars. That'll do. That'll do. Anyway, (laughs) I got a little lost in that one. But... I'll send it back to you, Charles, because just, just listening, listening. Yeah, is <laughs> more than enough, and we have to say that also. Of course, because just listening <laughs> is more than enough. You guys are awesome for getting all the way to the end here. Thank you so, so much for that. And we always enjoy this, and uh, thank you for listening. And uh, as always, go forth and conquer, friends. <laughs>